Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is entrepreneur Karine Berlin. She's the co-founder of WHub and Angel Hub. Karine, welcome. Thank you, Simon, for having me. Welcome. It's good evening from Hong Kong. Good evening. It's so awesome to see you um, and wonderful uh, that you've taken the time out to join us and share your knowledge with our audience. I always like to uh, start off the podcast, but just asking you if it's possible for you to perhaps introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. Yes, with pleasure. So I'll start with the easy part. As you mentioned, I'm the co-founder of WHUB and Angel Hub, and WHUB is uh, the, largest startup, the largest startup community platform here, proudly born out of Hong Kong with over 3,500 startups on the platform, over 500 partners globally, which give us a several million reach out into the ecosystem. And we really started off with our hashtag startup passion on helping entrepreneurs unleash their full potential by connecting them to all the resources they need. And with that, we said, you know, really bringing Hong Kong and the Greater Bay Area onto the global map of startup ecosystems. And then I'm also the co-founder of uh, Angel Hub, which is particularly taking care of connecting startups to funding, but also importantly, you know, any high net worth individuals, family offices, angel investors, and VCs to startup investing opportunities. And Angel Hub is Hong Kong's very first and still only SFC regulated uh, startup equity crowdfunding platform for professional investors and growth stage that are in Asia. So I said, that's the easy part, right? Um, the little bit more complicated part is like, where am I from? Uh, where do I think I belong to? So my passport is German and I grew most of my time up in, in Germany and studied there, partially in the US because my father was working for, for an American company. Um, and then I studied in France, uh, went on a double diploma program. That's where I met my husband, um, who is uh, French. And that's why the the family name is, is quite French speaking, and then started working for Procter & Gamble, stayed there 15 years, and that brought me to Asia, um, where I met in Japan my co-founder, my amazing co-founder, Karen, Karen Parzam. She's also French, so you can see by now my better half is definitely French, um, and then moved uh, nine years ago um, to Hong Kong, and that's where you know we started uh, WHUB and uh, Angel Hub fully out of passion to, to make a difference. Wow, you uh, you have a very interesting background, and as someone that lived in Hong Kong for twenty years, I, I watched you start and, and build something quite amazing in Hong Kong with literally passion. So um, your your hashtag has totally personified who you are as a brand. Now, I, I wondered uh, what you think of success. What what does success mean to you? Yeah, so for me, uh, when I hear success, I am very 
actually um, naturally think about sports um, and then also business. But for me, it's always about achieving a certain goal, right? So it's being successful in achieving a milestone that you have set yourself. And with that, you know, you can already see it kind of like has a link to a certain purpose. And again, we call it passion, purpose, and passion. Um, and for us, and that's when you go a little bit deeper down, you know, and, and strip it, you know, off the, 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 the kind of like general meaning of, of um, you know, achieving a set of purpose is really making an impact. Um, and I think that's something that has defined me. Uh, even if I look back my 15 years at Procter & Gamble, you know, we always had this mission statement that said about we're here to improving consumers, people's lives. And I think making that positive impact to the community um, is, is something that gives me satisfaction, that gives me energy, that, that nourishes my own passion. Um, so that, that whole entrepreneurial mindset on you know, problem, solving it, creating a positive impact, moving on to the next problem. Um, I think that ultimately is how I like to look at being successful as, you know, being impactful. I think being impactful is a great measure for success. Do you? But I always think about sports. I mean, not only because I have German background and I love to watch soccer and I played a lot of soccer and, and handball and everything. I'm a very sporty person. Um, and I think later on, we, we may think about a little bit also, you know, what do you think how entrepreneurs are defined and mindset? I think it's, it's kind of like, you know, trying to reach the end, you know, trying to set yourself um, some inspiring milestones that you want to achieve. I think that's, that's ultimately, I think, what, what, what drives success. And satisfaction. I think the sports analogy is interesting. I, I, I guess sports as a concept to me, you have a team and you're trying to win things. But there's a there's a so you know in, in, in the building out of a business when you're building out what you're doing, you know who's who's the competition and who who's the teammate. I think actually um, it's interesting because you have different types of sports. You have individual sports and you have team sports. And I agree. Actually, I I, I loved. Uh, playing team sports because um, I love the together. I um, really uh, love also the fact that, you know, once you're down and, you know, we all know entrepreneurship is, it's not an easy ride. It's a pretty bumpy ride, right? Um, so just sticking there together um, having somebody, you know, you can cry on the shoulder, you know, in the lows, um, somebody who, who builds you up, who helps you to motivate yourself. I think that's definitely something that, that I love. And I think the thing is when, when you talk about competition, I always um, like to think about, you know, do I satisfy my own standards? So competing against the own purpose or own, again, milestones or own success measures, I have defined myself. So for example, the, the worst thing can, that happens is either you win and you didn't give your best, right? Uh, or, um, you know, on the other hand, the other way you can define it is even if you have given your best and somebody beats you, it's okay, right? I mean, you know, failing and, you know, going through hardship, it, it's part of the journey. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of blessing and a curse because on the one hand side, um, you know, you always kind of like try to achieve things that are maybe a little bit less untangible because the way that you set up your own goals, the way that you define your own success measure is not necessarily always rational, right? It might be easier to say, okay, look at company ABC, very clear if I hit that, if I beat them, you know, that's success. So sometimes a little bit more less, you know, easy and sometimes a little bit more frustrating actually if you compete against your own purpose and passion and milestones yeah i think for the listeners out there there's some there's a real important piece of wisdom that you're sharing there i think that your your personal 
your personal goals and your personal best effort is sometimes all you need to measure it against. I think so many people do measure their success against their competition and whether or not they're winning or losing it within that uh, makeup. But it, that what you're saying there, which I think is really actually quite profound, is that people need to spend more time setting their own boundaries as to what success is, right? I mean, you think about football teams as an example. I mean, in England, you've got third division, fourth division, fifth division. They're all winners in their own right, sometimes just by turning up and playing. Right. So, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are actually two elements to it. Um, so um, one of it is um, the fact that if you only try to beat somebody, you can only be as good as that benchmark. Right. So I think even if you look in terms of more intrinsic um, uh, milestones or success measures, I think you could arguably go even way beyond things that anybody else could have imagined. The other thing is, um, and that's something I'm not sure if you if you remember what the W actually stands for in W Hub, it starts for starting with why. And we heard that talk from Simon Sinek, you know, the golden circle about, you know, if you believe what I believe, you know, the mission, the purpose, the passion, the why is what really drives you and what also attracts anybody else to you, to your team, you know, to be on your crusade. And he wrote um, his most uh, recent book, which is called The Infinite Game. And I think if you if you play, and, and so he distinguishes between finite games and infinite games. And in a finite game, it's really like one lose, one win. It's like a soccer game, right? It's like 90 minutes, somebody wins, somebody But he talks about business and so entrepreneurship for definition as well as an infinite game. You know, you, you cannot win business. I mean, you can say over a certain time period, I went over competition. Um, but then, you know, again, other, you know, some other player comes and, and, and bypasses you, etc. So he looks at, you know, business and certain, you know, things as an infinite game, which makes it also more interesting, more complicated, where, you know, the set of rules can change, the environment can change. I mean, I'm not going to go into a book circle now, but uh, I, I really, really find a lot of profound um, truth in, in what he says. And it was Simon uh, Sinek, um, so who really also said, yeah, I mean, if you measure yourself against competition, again, you can only be as good as your best competitor or slightly better. I mean, for anyone out there that hasn't listened to Simon Sinek, you should stop listening to this podcast right now and go <laughs> listen to his TED talk and start with why. And yes, I, I, I absolutely love all of his stuff. And so what you're talking about there resonates. I think, um, yeah, I have a tendency, I just want to go off a tangent there and start talking about why America lost the Vietnam War, because a large part of that was that America was in there to win the war, but as people that lived in Vietnam were in there to win their country, you know, which was never, a yeah. never ending requirement, right? So um, a lot of... I think he states that, you know, he also joined the military, right, Simon, as part of trying to understand his other book, like Why Leaders Eat Last is a lot of philosophy. Totally, yeah. I mean, he's, he's yeah, just absolute exactly. genius. Look, um, I, I wondered in your view, based on the fact that you've seen thousands of entrepreneurs, if you think an entrepreneur is born or bred? Interesting. Uh, I think actually to entrepreneurship, there are two aspects, two elements to it. One is mindset and one is methodology. Um, and uh, I'm also a huge fan of, you know, lean startup methodology and rapid prototyping, et cetera. So I think the methodology part, you can definitely learn. Uh, I had to learn. So I spent 15 years in a corporate career, right, with, with Procter & Gamble and, you know, the very, very strong corporate culture, great and amazing learning. Uh, but I arguably had to really unlearn certain things, right? Um, so again, in terms of um, just learning by doing, you know, build, measure, learn, pivot, keep, you know, moving on. So this is methodology and you can learn. It may feel a little bit uncomfortable at the beginning. So again, are some people more naturally born into, I'm fine, I'll just, you know, I'm more risk-taking. That's one thing. 
The other thing I think is more the mindset piece. And, um, and I think on the mindset piece, there are several elements. So once we touched on already, I think um, what I feel um, or what I see, uh, given that entrepreneurship really is a long journey, it's, it's a marathon or it's like, 20 marathons or, you know, a never ending, you know, marathon that you run, um, that, that resilience, um, that, that self-motivation, that drive, that that's definitely something I think where some people are maybe a little bit more prone to than others. Right. Um, the other thing is really, again, also in terms of finding that mission and passion. And again, we come back to the more or less cheesy hashtag of, you know, passion. Um, I think, you know, once you really become obsessed about a problem that you think it's worth solving and you think nobody else is um, either thinking of it or maybe doing a good enough job, so it's up to you. And that's a little bit the whole idea of getting from zero to one, right? I mean, you would be the first and only person who really solves this problem in a way that is stickier, creates more value or whatsoever. Um, I think this is, again, if, you're, if you find this passion, it's, it's a blessing and that's what, what really is going to drive you. It's one of what's going to help you also really again set these goals that might look for anybody from the outside, like completely stupid, irrealistic or um, you know, unachievable. Um, and it's once again, also um, a little bit that, that curse because you really become obsessed with it. And, and there I see, I think um, probably through experience, what you go through when you're a child or so, I think uh, maybe some people have a little bit more grit, a little bit more resilience or feel a little bit more passion are a little bit more comfortable really also on, you know, putting the heart into it rather than just their mind. That's a little bit of a long answer. Um, but I think so one part, definitely you can learn. I mean, I didn't start off as, as an entrepreneur. I didn't wake up one morning and said, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, even though I felt within PNG, I had a lot of responsibility and I was really able to, to take decisions. Uh, but I didn't wake up as an entrepreneur, a lot I had to learn. But I think given that I probably, you know, really grew up in a village where with tons of mostly boys actually, and playing soccer, playing games and, you know, just going through the dirt, going through the hardship, through sports, I think there's a lot of on, on the mindset side. I think that that is really um, not necessarily born, but your experience when you grow up. Parents entrepreneurs? No, no. I really followed the, my my father until the point I left PNG. So we did the same studies, business administration, same university in Mannheim. Um, and uh, well, then I went to, to Paris as well and did an MBA there. Um, joined as uh, in the finance department, same as my dad. So he retired as a, you know, the head of finance. And uh, yeah, until that point, super conservative cannot be more conservative. You know, when I left university, I was like, okay, I either going to become a tax consultant. I did at my point in time, we talked about the big seven, not uh, did internships there um, and uh, I was really set for a super traditional path. So what changed? What I mean, a lot of my listeners are, are people that are, you know, working right now, but dream of starting their own business. And so, you know, you're 15 years at Procter & Gamble. You did various roles, yeah. finance, sales, strategy, and of course, the management level. But what happened? Yeah. So, so, so once again, I didn't wake up once in the morning and say, like, okay, I have to get out of it. Um, and I think it's interesting. Only a, a few people know that when we built WHUB, um, we originally identified a problem more on the talent side than on um, the startup side. So when we launched WHUB, the very first service was a job recruiting platform specifically for startups because we felt, you know, startups always came bottom of the list when, when talent was looking for job searches. They either looked like brand names, salaries, positions, titles, career paths, and very often 
often, particularly you know, if you remember back then, uh, Hong Kong's entrepreneurship and startup scene was was relatively nascent. All these things were nothing that you know startups could offer or beat the Swires, the HSBC, the big guys, right? So we're like, okay, we need to create a space place for um, um, for uh, for startups really to to create um, job opportunities. But once again, we came from the talent side, and so live having lived seven years in Japan and having seen um, you know multiple um, trailing spouses or even you know stories where people lost their job and just couldn't continue contributing to society. We're like, what, what a waste of brain power. You know, there's so much talented people out there. It was at a time as well. Um, so Karen, my co-founder, is, is an exotic trader where she saw her colleagues, uh, for example, being forced on finding a new job. Uh, where you had, you know, when, 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 when you start into getting, you know, economic downturns and things like that, people start being a bit frustrated with their corporate career. People want to make a change to their career path. Um, some people needing more flexibility because they maybe have elderly care and things like that. So there was, there was a lot from the talents that were said talent is there and they're trying to find an alternative or have to find an alternative to a corporate career and then at the same time we had friends that were entrepreneurs that were desperately looking for great talent to join their team to further build on their product and scale and we said okay why don't we why don't we see if we can match them okay um, and while we were exposing ourselves and you remember back then in Hong Kong right five co-working spaces I know one or two events per week, you quickly, you know, had a very, very deep understanding of what was going on. And we just became so passionate again with entrepreneurs, with their mission, with their passion on solving their problem. I said, okay, we're going to help you. And at one point in time, when you build a double-sided platform, you have to decide who do you put in the center? We said, okay, we'll put the startup into the center, helping them to recruit still solves all the problems on the talent side, but from then, you know, scaled all the other services and, you know, started, you know, being the, the media angle, the tech media in, in Hong Kong, um, providing, you know, workshops, um, access to acceleration programs. Some of them we did ourselves with, with Techstars, Startup Weekends and all of that and really scaled, you know, problem by problem that startups were facing to scale their business and provided these services. And so how did you, you know, quit Procter Gamma? How did that actually play out? Just again, trying to inspire people to quit. Did you like just walk into your boss's office and say, I'm out of here, see you, W Hub's taking off? Or was it a step-by-step -step process? How did it? it? It was really a step-by-step -step process. So I took a sabbatical um, and I took a second sabbatical. And only then uh, two years, one and a half years later, I was like, okay, guys, I mean, you could still keep me on the payroll um, or in the systems. But I guess at that point in time, it was really the path of, of no return by just being too passionate. And, and again, it's, it's nothing that, um, I think actually, if I look back, I think it was probably one of the most low tech persons on earth. Uh, I just became so fascinated with, with technology and the opportunities it built. Um, and, and again, helping entrepreneurs, um, you know, finding resources, helping them scale, help them in their, in their crusade just felt so much more meaningful. I, it just felt like 18 years again, restarting, um, a new career path. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was not at all super risk. It was really with that parachute on, okay, let's test this out for a year. Let's take a sabbatical and then, okay, let's maybe add another one. You never know if I have to move out of Hong Kong or I have to get back uh, to a stable career or, you know, I need to get my, my salary back on, on the monthly, you know, payroll. Uh, so yeah, it was super, super smooth, but yeah, I think a slow and steady path of no return. I think it's again for the listeners out there. It's, it's it's a good angle. I think so often there's this kind of binary, you know, you've got to do a startup or you've got a job, and some people might have a side hustle, which we know is tough. Um, what you did there, I think, is is something people can learn from. It's not it's not something. It's not my experience. I I just started a business at fifteen and never looked back, but I never had 
I wouldn't got hired by Procter and Gamble. I didn't have the qualifications or the experience, or you know, so I didn't have that opportunity. But I think a lot of people do have that opportunity, and sometimes they can get trapped by it. But I, I think what yeah. you're describing there, your process where you you took a risk but a calculated risk, is actually a good path for people to consider if they can, right? Especially now, like with, I look with furlough and, and what's happening where people aren't working as much or the companies are saying we need to pause for a few months. It can also give people a chance to reflect. I, I still wonder what the spark was, you know, what what made you even take the sabbatical? Because even that sounds like a, a, a big decision just to say I'm having a sabbatical. To you know, to the, How did you actually decide that bit? No, true. And, and you're right. And I think it's actually, if you go a little bit more, more down, I mean, it, it's still, you know, reflecting back and, you know, uh, uh, looking back is always easier and you're always super smart, you know, afterwards in terms of, yeah, that totally made sense. Um, I think there are two things that I wanted to highlight. I think still that, that really that paradigm shift on letting go it wasn't, it was a long process, right? Because again, you let go of security and it was at a time, you know, where um, it wasn't very clear where WHUB were going, um, where the startup scene was going, you know, it was still very, very much risk taking, right? And it was about also a couple decisions with my husband, right? And to say like, are we okay to stay longer here in Hong Kong? Because if I do that, it's obviously not to then, you know, leave Hong Kong uh, two months later because then I would have everything, you know, thrown everything away. So that's for sure. So still that, that paradigm shift. And I think that's where, again, that, that, that passion, that being obsessed or feeling so connected to a problem um, really plays a role because it is painful. It is painful in particular when you come from a company that has a strong culture. The other thing is, again, and, and it's, it's, it's a good point, um, you know, that you put the finger on it because uh, if I think back, one of the driving forces was also the fact that at that point in time, um, I did my two years here in, in Hong Kong with, with P&G or two and a half years. And, and typically, you know, assignments change like every two, two and a half years. Um, and my next assignment was in, um, in uh, uh, Guangzhou where actually the Greater China headquarters were. Um, and that was at a um, point in time where um, my, my youngest daughter, um, I have three daughters, um, she was still very, very young. Okay. And um, I still remember this discussion with my boss. I was like, wait a second, you know, my husband is here and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, relocate with the kids to Guangzhou. We're not going to split family. So how can that work? He said, okay, don't worry. Well, we're going to get you a remote location job so you can work, you know, Monday from Friday in Guangzhou and on the weekend you're back in Hong Kong. I was like, wait a second, this is not a remote location job. This is like me being Monday, Friday, stripped away from my family. Um, and then, you know, basically, yeah. Um, having being like the, the weekend mom. So that was not conceivable with, with my values, with who I wanted to be and, and, and also the mom that I wanted to be. Um, so that helped to say, you know what, if the next opportunity is going to you never know, maybe we're going to move or something like that. So let's take a sabbatical. Let's give me some time to think and maybe also some other job opportunities open up. Um, and that was the actually one, the first reason why I took the first sabbatical. It's true. It's true. It's interesting, I think, and for people, again, trying to understand how they can make it work for them, that that process is fascinating, I think. It's interesting as well. I mean, I've, I've never, you're always so diplomatic and positive about everything. But I, when I think about the Procter & Gamble, you mentioned a few times their culture and that was good and, it, it, and they trained you and gave you all these things. But it, it feels like at that moment too, maybe the culture that they had um, also didn't align with where you were in your family life. I mean, that idea, I couldn't even imagine saying to my colleague, please, you know, be away from your family Monday to Friday. I just couldn't imagine telling my, my colleague that, you know, like, and, and even no matter how big the purpose of the business is, it almost doesn't matter. You know, that, that, that overrides, you've got three children and they need you. 
did they really think it was feasible that you do people really do that i'm I, I don't know if i know enough about the corporate world do people actually leave their family monday to friday and do that some people do that yeah for sure but again i think look, looking back uh, yes i'm always looking on the bright side of things so again i looking back i mean the fact that you know i started off in germany with Procter and then went to france um met my husband there moved to japan um so and then moved to hong kong so everything was double career management etc because there was um and i guess still is i mean i'm not inside the company anymore uh, but a huge focus on diversity inclusion and enabling you know women to contribute to the workforce as much as, as they can so um, you know having and, and it's on both sides right so sometimes it's, it's it's your spouse who is like the one who has an opportunity or sometimes it's you and then managing actually a dual career is, is something that really requires a lot of flexibility also from your prospective employers and I always had that uh, but at the end of the day I think again if I look back obviously um, you know there, there's the company there's the culture but at the end of the day and once again not to quote Simon Sinek, um, it, business is, is all about the people, right? You cannot see there's people and there's business. Business is people. And, and you also stay because of people, right? You say because you believe in what you're doing, but you also believe in with whom you're doing things, right? Uh, yes. And so, and sometimes, you know, through your career, you go through phases where you, you know, connect more with your team or your boss and, and less. So yes, again, at one point in time, you know, maybe it's like good luck or stars align and, you know, you just actually have that point in time where the decision seems to be easier. So it mm. was at that point in time, it was easier to let go, at least to pause. I think it's at amazing, you know, talking about relationships and what you're saying, having 15 years at a company, the relationships must have changed many times. So it's uh, to your credit that you, uh, you managed to do it for 15 years. I think um, one of the things I'm interested in, uh, you, you've mentioned your co-founder a few times, uh, Karen, and um, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have met her. She's, she's actually very similar to you, very positive, um, very, very smart. But how did you find each other? And how, you know, if you're, the, if you're trying to advise the audience about the co-founder relationship, any, any tips? Yes. So it's super interesting uh, because one of the mantra we live by, Karen and myself, is listen to everybody and make up your own mind. Um, and one of the things that you would listen to everybody and just listen without making up your own mind, you would never start a business with your best friend. So Karen and myself, we go back a long, long time. We met in Japan. So um, when Karen uh, was an exotic trader at JP Morgan and I was, you know, finance manager at Procter & Gamble in Japan, we were pregnant at the same time. We had, you know, fun at the same time. So, so all of, of that was really building um, a strong friendship first. And then uh, Karen actually moved to Hong Kong a year before I moved. Um, and we found ourselves um, back here. And then, as I mentioned, we both became very passionate about solving the problem of, you know, talent and startup and matching both of them. Um, and I think the reason why it act, why actually people tell you not to found a company with, with your best friend, um, I think there are two things to it. One is you potentially could be afraid of looking for conflict, right? Or avoid conflict because you would prioritize friendship, right? But I think, I think if, you're, if you're friends enough, um, you already have called yourself all possible names. I think that's probably not the biggest barrier. I think the biggest watch out to really building a company with your best friend is that very often you are too similar, right? Because you get attracted to people who are, you know, very similar taste, mindset, et cetera. And I think, you know, Karen and myself, it's interesting that, that you say that we're very similar. It's because we define ourselves more like yin and yang. 
And um, so there's a little bit of, of black in the white and there's a little bit of white in the black, right? But I think proportion wise, I think we're very different. Um, and the way that we look at things is super complementary. Also in terms of, you know, she also did a double diploma, but she was first an engineer and then added an MBA. And I was actually really first, you know, I'm a business administration focused um, and then added, you know, some other elements and, you know, exposed myself more to the tech scene. So very, very different background. And even very often, if we look at exactly Exactly the same um, topic, fact, uh, from very different angles, and um, and then given that we're not afraid to really get into a constructive discussion, uh, we say we never really fight. You know, maybe sometimes people outside would think it looks like that, but it, well, we don't. I mean, it, it's it's really beneficial. So we always think that afterwards, you know, it's the thing that we come out with something that is better that me myself, her herself, would have not been able to do alone. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know you both, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about for the audience listening. I think what, what, what I see <laughs> is you both have the same moral code, you both have the same work ethic, and you seem you know, to have the same sense of humor, which I think is overlooked uh, as, a, as an asset. <laughs> and, and then, you know, but you, you do have different uh, execution skills, right? You have different areas of things that you like to do and, and are good at. Yeah. And expertise, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, and really think, good at and like to do. So there's never overlap. That's not like mm, I'm right or right. You know, I there are certain elements I 100% trust what she does mm, and vice versa. There's not like yeah. I know better than you or whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I I, uh, I married my business partner. So you know, Helen Griffiths was was my business partner at my first company in Hong Kong called Fluid, okay. and uh, yeah, I mean, we um we, we but we we had the same core. We had the same, I guess, attitude to things in life, but we ultimately had very different skill sets. And I, and I think it's a really good bit of advice from you there. So anyone listening out there that's thinking of getting a co-founder, just, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong either with working with your best friend. My wife is definitely my best friend, but I, I can absolutely see that if you're um, not careful, if you're doing the same thing, you can end up, I, I, I always pitch it like a band. If you both want to be the lead singer, you can, you know, you might get Robbie Williams breaking away from the band and, uh, <laughs> I thought take that with Robbie Williams was what I saw recently, you know, so that it's still even there, even though doing an online thing for charity, I think it was, it was still, I don't even know what I'm even talking about. Take that and Robbie Williams. But, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but, but yeah. Totally do. Okay, bad. good. Good. Yeah. Few. Uh, by, by the way, I think I could have never built a business with my husband because we did kind of like exactly the same studies the other way around and we're very similar. So I think right. we would more easily get into an argument about something that, you know, we're both probably qualified and maybe, short-sighted on something else then yeah, that's yeah. In, that's interesting because i'm um, and, and I'll, I'll be careful now because my, my wife edits every single <laughs> one of these podcasts but um my, my wife and i were absolutely amazing business partners like i just couldn't have been happier working with helen it was amazing but as parents we have a fair bit of conflict uh, and i think it's a healthy amount you know what schools to go to and what you know the right way to um to, to parent and so on but we're we're it's very interesting i guess you know when you have if you have the same background like my wife went to university and I didn't. And, you know, we just have a, a different background. So when it comes to parenting, it seems to have a, a slightly different edge to it. We're still happily married, I would just like to add. And I love you very much, Helen, if you're listening to this podcast. But you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. No, I agree. And that's also where sometimes like emotion really play a, a role, right? When it comes to child education. And it takes over completely. What I mean, even when it Procter & Gamble tell you to... Uh, it's fine. Be, you know, five days a week in, in China and leave your kids behind. There's just no way it's going to happen, even if you love the company. <laughs> I, I was wondering what your view was on, on my theory around how luck is so important in, in business. Um, what's your view? 
So I listened uh, a few years back to another um, interesting TED talk. Um, and uh, right now, uh, I don't remember exactly the, the name of the person who was holding, but I think you can find it super easily. It was about trying to under, understand and identify out of five factors, um, which are the ones, the most important ones for business success. Right, and it was um, about uh, funding. It was about the skill set. I think the team. Um, it was about the business model, and one was about timing. And uh, they did, uh, I think, like thousands of uh, research on companies, etc. And the most single or strongest correlation of business success was not the team, not the passion, not the funding. It was timing, and I think history. Uh, the books are full of was not necessarily the first inventor who made it to a great you know um, go to market and and and, and commercialization um, and uh, I, I think it's, it's it's also healthy to always remember I think yeah doing the right thing at the right time is um, something that has a huge impact and if you want to call it good luck um, or, or luck yeah I guess you can right it's it's uh, it is really that. Also, sometimes if you, if, you, if you start solving a certain problem and you, you don't get the traction and you just have the grit to stick at it in two, three, four years later, you know, again, I think there's a lot of this. Yeah. And I think it's, it's on the one hand side also very healthy to always remember that. So it's not, again, unfortunately, your own capabilities and skills. I mean, there's a certain, again, grit and there's a certain mindset that is important. But I think, yes, with regards to that, I would, I would fully agree. Um, it's interesting because I think I would fully agree in terms of, you know, good luck and, and the stars being aligned. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. I totally believe in the force. Um, so on the other hand, um, again, would the same hold true in terms of bad luck? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. And again, maybe that's me kind of like always trying to look at the glass half full. Um, and maybe potentially at this point in time, I didn't have that much of a huge amount of bad luck yet. Um, but I would see as, you know, bad luck or, or setbacks or, or difficulties more again as, as part of the, of the journey, right? Which comes back to, you know, startup methodology, you know, um, negative feedback is only one type of feedback, right? Um, and I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're not masochistic, right? I mean, when we say fail, fail fast, it's actually not that we love to get negative feedback and, you know, it, it's about learn and learn fast, um, but it's about, you know, getting feedback and, and, and getting an understanding is way better um, than having zero understanding and validation because the worst that can happen if you're looking for uh, an innovative product market fit um, is you need validation right um, so you need to understand are you on the right path or on the wrong path and the faster you do that the faster you get feedback right the better and the earlier um, you actually find the solution so long story to say I think I totally believe in good luck and in the force and um, having been blessed so far by the force um, but I do not necessarily at the same extent would buy into, into bad luck. Do you feel you've had a big break in business? I think you mean break through or breakdown? Uh -huh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> you know, either, you know, what, what's the story that kind of, uh, you had a breakdown at Procter and Gamble and that was it. And you decided to do your own business or you had a breakdown building Which your I own business. I would say that was my breakthrough actually. Yeah. Ironically. Well, that goes, that goes back to your point just a moment ago, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes my, my view is that sometimes your bad luck is actually your good luck. Yeah. So, I mean, it's easy to say True. in hindsight, but you know, even myself, my, my father died when I was very young. That was a very hard moment, but I look back, I love my life today. 
So maybe it wouldn't have been a wonderful life today if that awful thing hadn't happened to me when I was younger, right? So there's an element True. of that. But, but you know, for yourself, do you, do you see a moment that um, was a big break or do you see a big moment that kind of changed everything for you? Yeah, I got to get back to that. I just, when you were, you know, talking about, it, reminded me of something that um, my grandfather always said, and I don't know if that's like a typical German um, proverb or so, but he always said, um, the good luck comes to the hardworking one. So again, I think it's, it's a really interesting concept in terms of, um, yes, of course, uh, how much is your own influence? Or again, is it just, yeah. you know, mindset and resilience uh, versus also not overestimating yourself and being too arrogant. And if something works well to say, yeah, that was all me, um, you know, versus you were just lucky. True. Um, I mean, just, just to but, pick up on that, I know what your grandfather yeah. was talking about. There's a famous saying with Jefferson. He's basically the harder you work, the luckier you get. But I actually right. totally think that's missing the nuance of it. I mean, because I think luck is really made yeah. up of three things, which is persistence, which is what you've talked about, an element of risk, and then destination, where you're trying to go. It's actually much more complicated than the harder you work, the luckier you get. In fact, there is an argument, the harder you work, the sicker you get. I mean, one of the reasons I stopped working was I was getting overweight and unhealthy and I was focusing on success being a bigger business and more money as opposed to like what was actually important, which was health and well-being. So working sure. harder... Yes, it can also bring you success, but it also can make you sick. True. So I, well, there I have another quote from Simon Sinek, which is if you work, you know, um, hard on something that you don't care about, it's called stress. But if right. you work hard on something you feel passionate totally. about, you know, it, yeah. yeah but but I, I had the opposite experience. I was very passionate yeah. about what I was doing. Okay. I, I think I absolutely loved it. In fact, it was an addiction. It was, it was, it was the opposite problem. I loved the, it so that's much. That's the curse part, right? Exactly. Blessing yeah, and that, that is something, you know, something I think exactly. passion as a word, I've actually written a book and passion is a main part of the book. And I, so I absolutely love the whole way you think about passion because I, but I do feel like sometimes, and what I'm trying to say here is, is, is basically I want people to not necessarily think working hard will equal success. And sometimes these one-off business sayings that are thrown around, we both know them, you know, the, and, and one of them is hardy work, the lucky you get, is not actually okay. true because I, I personally became more successful when I let other people run my companies for me I was good at getting them to zero to one but I was never going to build a business into Procter and Gamble that wasn't what I liked to do right so sometimes if I brought right, in senior right. management into my company and worked less hard at a certain point then I, I actually was more successful so it's just breaking down those sayings isn't it I think that's, uh, that's important yeah. but getting back to it I mean right. do, do you think that uh, what, what education I mean what was your education like yeah, so I actually didn't really answer your question, but I think in a short version when we got before we transition over to education, um, I, I don't think you know we had yet the breakthrough. I think we had a lot of you know mini breakthroughs every day, and we have a lot of um, you know mini breakdowns every day. Um, again, I think lucky enough, I, I didn't have a huge breakdown yet, um, so uh, not not yet at, at the burnout. Um, but on the other hand, again, no, I, I think there's just so much still uh, what we want to achieve. So I'm still waiting for the for the major breakthrough. I mean, of course, the, the first time, again, if you ask me about, you know, the, the, the breakthroughs, I still always remember Karen me having the first startup sign up on the platform, right? We like, oh my God, we had a theory, we built something and it works. I mean, people come, they sign up, they spend that, they think it's valuable to be part of the community. These are things, obviously the first time you hire somebody, you, you grow the team. And, and I think, again, when, when you talk about, for me, the, the best luck I had was, yeah, A, finding my, my co-founder and B, you know, each and every team member who joined us, who still sticks, you know, with us, who has this passion, who does way more than, than just the job. I think I really feel lucky you know, for, 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 for this. So I think that is something I, I, I really feel very strongly about. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think uh, getting the very first uh, equity crowdfunding license is, is something that 
tons of people told us that it's never going to happen. Um, the number of people who told us you should leave Hong Kong and go somewhere else because it exists somewhere else. And we said, well, that's the very reason why I want to bring it to Hong Kong. It exists in other places, but if there's a reason uh, and there's a meaning, you know, for this existing here in Hong Kong. So, so there are some, you know, you know, successes that we're really proud of. Uh, but again, I think if you measure yourself towards, you know, the impact you want to create, I think it's a never ending, a never ending story. So coming back to education, I think I, I touched on it, right? It's a very, very um, normal, boring. Um, maybe the thing that, um, that made me, um, that, um, that is a highlight of my education and my past growing up was uh, I really loved going to school. I think I was, I was a bit of a, of a teacher's pet, but without being a nerd. So I, I think I was, I, I really love going to school, uh, but I also love the social part of it. So I, I think uh, that's the only thing that if you, if I look back, um, obviously being blessed on having been able to, you know, go to schools and have great education and great university, great MBA program, all that. But yeah, nothing spectacular. Very, you know, when you grew up in, in, in the 70s, 80s, very traditional, very traditional. One of the reasons I like to talk about education and one of the reasons I do this podcast is that I, I have my view on the world and I think, you know, instead of standing in a soapbox and just telling people what I think, which I do do from time to time, I like to debate or discuss things with people uh, that might have a different opinion to test that my opinion whether or not it's legitimate. So, for example, I, I have a feeling, uh, a deep feeling that university is a bit of a trap for a lot of young people. They get into debt, they get caught in a cycle, then they have to get a job that they perhaps don't love or feel passionate about and then they get trapped in the system how do you feel about education do you do you i mean for your own children for example how do, how do you feel about education as a system yeah i think uh i have seen so again coming back seen myself thriving through a very traditional education system as much as i have seen my my siblings um you know older brother or, or younger sister being way less happy than me through that traditional system um I think the other thing that I feel really grateful is that having gone through a very traditional university in, in Germany, but then through an MBA program in, you know, in, in Paris, um, which are two very different concepts of, um, of, of, of teaching. And so on the pure academic side, right? And I still remember, um, you know, in, in, a, in a German university, if you start becoming creative and, you know, coming up with, with own answers um, and not following the textbook, you know, the, the professor would be like, you know, who asked you to think? I'm exaggerating, but on the other hand, remembering, you know, when I arrived in Paris and I would start, you know, reciting, you know, what I, what I read in the textbook, the professor would go like, okay, well, you know, I can do that by myself, learning by heart what is written in the book. So what is your opinion? So I think um, what, what I really loved is that diversity. And I think right now what I treasure um, with the education that my children um, are going through, which I think is, is, is fantastic. I'm not sure. So they're, they're part of, uh, you know, Hong Kong International School, which is really a very international um, 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 school that is built on, on growth mindset. And a lot of the, the theories that I can see in education today are, for me, relating much more, um, again, type of mindset and methodology we see in entrepreneurship, right? In terms of it's, it's not about the end result, it's about the path, right? It's about really, um, you know, having a growth mindset, being risk-taking, stretching yourself. You know, I always say learning starts where your comfort zone ends. So really giving kids um, the comfort to say it's okay uh, to fail. It's okay uh, to confront problems that are ambiguous that don't have a clear answer, right? Um, telling kids, you know, it's not about you telling me one plus one um, is two, but um, yeah, tell me why it's not three, tell me why it's not 10. What are, you know, and that is, I think, 
one thing that I really, really um, appreciate. The overall concept is about really teaching resilience, collaboration, and creativity, which I think are indeed three values that are really, really important. Um, and when it comes to that resilience piece, and I think, again, shout out to, to my parents, um, I think a lot of things you learn outside of school, right? The, the fact that, uh, you know, I was jobbing on the side, you know, you, you have the, the, the festivals in the village where you start, you know, uh, delivering the beer and the sausages and that's how you earn your money. And, um, you know, you, you learn really um, the values of um, being self-motivated, you know, not having that um, sense of, um, um, how, how you say that, in, in that sense of, you know, um, entitlement. Uh, I think that is really something that is really, really important. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'd just like to finish the podcast off on a lighter note and just ask you, if you went back to your younger <laughs> self and, and gave some advice, what would it be? Uh, I think I would totally follow the Edith Piaf, Je ne regrette rien. I would do it all again. Huh. <laughs> That's again my positive way of looking on all also, you know, you wouldn't say by the way, by, moments I was going through. Right, so you wouldn't say, oh, by the way, don't go to Potter and Gamble. 15 years from now, they're going to tell no, you to be away no. from you know what? It's interesting because, you know, um, very often, you know, at, at universities, you know, you have an opportunity to share, to share a little bit about your story. And also, obviously, what we try to do is go to universities and encourage students to, um, to try entrepreneurship. Not, not everybody has to be an entrepreneur, but at least you should try it out. You should, you know, understand what it is. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we, we run hackathons and can put a shameful plug right now there, you know, go on hack.asia. Yeah, we'll put all the links in the bottom of the podcast, all, all, of, your, all of your many activities, including hack. hack. Yeah, yeah. Asia. Um, yeah, again, so um, coming back to um, what was the point I was going to make? Um, Probably about um, trying what, what you said that I stuck with me was you were talking about how everyone should be an entrepreneur and try it and how everyone should give it a go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I think that the overall question that you were saying is like, oh, um, you know, telling people don't go to Procter & Gamble, right? So, you know what, actually back then, I think it was exactly the right thing to do because the um, amount of, of focus that would put on training, on learning on the job, which is something, uh, again, in the best years, um, you know, when companies have the budget and, and the focus and, you know, really um, being able to, to nurture their talent, um, I, I really benefited from that. I think the time I left, um, probably because of cost pressure and things like that, um, you know, there weren't the same opportunities. So again, nowadays I tell students, um, what was true for me, uh, you know, 20 years or actually 30 years, I don't know, I'm not going to count. Uh, what was true for me that time is not true anymore. Right. So, you know, um, companies don't have um, sometimes the same means, the same structure and the same luxury on, you know, putting such a high focus on, on, on education and something like, like stable jobs or stable career paths don't really exist anymore. Also because the world is way more ambiguous, right? Um, it's not that these companies do not necessarily don't want to offer it. It's, it's just, it's, it's just a different world. And I think, again, you can look at it, the glass half full or half empty on the one hand side is, I mean, the bad news is there is no one career path. Right. And I mean, uh, Cheryl Sandberg said, you know, it might be the jungle gym. It's not the ladder anymore. Uh, but on the other hand, again, it's positive. Can you make any mistake with your first job or your second job? No. Just make sure that you understand the skills you get out of it, the experience you treasure it, you value it, and then you build your own jungle gym or, or ladder or whatever it is you want to follow. So today, I don't tell people you should go and, you know, join 
a consultancy, a multinational, electric, whatever, you know, or, or a big, you know, established company, as much as I don't tell them, you, you have to absolutely start with entrepreneurship because both are sides. And, and you know that, I mean, you, you did that yourself. We're running co-innovation programs with startups and, 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 um, and uh, bigger corporates. There, there are both sides to it, you know, agility, innovation, risk-taking is one, structure, processes, um, methodology, um, you know, all these have value. It depends where you are, if you're from zero to one or if you're from one to 1,000. So I think that complementarity, long story short, again, I think that's what really makes it. And that's where I said, no, I don't regret it. I, I don't regret. Totally. I, 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 I love the way you think and so similar to, to the way I think. And I appreciate it very much. you giving your time today. I'm going to quickly sum up what I've taken away. What I like to do is sum up the end. Anyone listening to the end bit, they have to go and listen to the whole podcast to get the true um, context of each of these points. But when it comes to co-founders, you can be friends, but just be different is what I took from that. Making an impact is really probably one of the key elements to ensuring you build a company of purpose. I think thinking, as uh, Karina explained, around a kind of sports analogy, you know, the teams and your goals, it's very interesting to think about a business in that, in that frame. Hardship is part of the journey, something that really stuck with me that you said. Mindset, of course, is so important. I like the concept of try it out. You, you just mentioned, I think that's really true. You know, everyone, even if you're not necessarily thinking that you're an entrepreneur, I've seen a lot of people that aren't necessarily framing themselves as entrepreneurs. Mark Zuckerberg probably didn't frame himself as an entrepreneur, but if you try it out, you'll be surprised, I think. So I really like that bit of insight. Learning starts where your comfort ends. I've, I've, I like that saying. It's uh, something I, I like the audience to take away. And little breakthroughs. Sometimes it's not a big breakthrough. It's a little breakthroughs. And I think your little breakthroughs every step of the way have been amazing and you're an inspiration. And thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your insights. And I look forward to having you back on the podcast show very soon. Thank you so much, Simon. And if I could just say it was really, really special because um, we know each other for a long, long time. And I think once again, just to put a shameful plug on, on the Hong Kong ecosystem, it has come a long way. And I think it's something that is both, you know, uh, dear, dear to both of our hearts. So thank you so much. Very special to be on that podcast with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. And I'll uh, look forward to speaking to you very good again very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.